Hey guys, what's up? Uh, this is week 72. Got a bunch of reviews for you. So uh, I wanted to start this off with a little correction. For some reason, I called Zato Ichi, uh, Zato Ichi um, a movie from 2009. That's when the DVD or Blu-ray was pressed. It was 2003. My bad. Yeah, that explains why the CGI was a little lackluster there. But uh, let me hop right into this. Uh, the first one I'm covering is a double feature. I'm only going to focus on one of the movies as I reviewed Don't Look in the Basement a little bit ago on the Brink Vision a double disc with uh, the sequel. Uh, I'm going to talk about Don't Open the Door, a.k.a. Don't Hang Up. This is by the same guy who did Don't Look in the Basement. These are both the same director, S.F. Brownrig. Uh, Don't Look in the Basement had a lot more notoriety than Don't Open the Door. Don't Open the Door was one of those movies that, to me, always looked like it was going to be crummy. Like, I wasn't the biggest fan of Don't Look in the Basement. I've seen it a couple times. I always thought it was all right. Just kind of a mediocre, like, video nasty, kind of nasty drive-in movie. Um, and so I never bothered with uh, Don't Open the Door. But when they released it on Blu-ray, I was like, VCI usually releases some interesting stuff, so why not check it out? Um, first of all, I thought the quality was better. It's done from the negative, um, and, or the uh, print. It looked pretty solid, to be honest, for a movie made in 1975, only a couple years after Don't Look in the Basement. Uh, so that was a little bit better, because there's no real good prints that Don't Look in the Basement. And this edition doesn't look particularly well either. Um, so uh, Don't Look don't open the door except it's getting confused here don't open the door falls a story of uh, a woman who gets a phone call about her grandmother who's sick and bedridden and she's told to get down there immediately by an anonymous tip that you know something's kind of something's not quite right she goes down there and realizes that there's a judge and a weird museum curator who are trying to get some things from the grandmother the grandmother's been kind of poisoned and uh, so she calls her doctor friend to come down and help her and that's basically the whole setup of the movie she's in this giant uh, beautiful house that the museum curator wants a lot of the stuff from the judge wants the house everybody wants the house the judge is played by the um i can't remember the guy's name but he plays the judge in don't look in the basement he's the best actor in the movie probably he's really solid in fact all the acting is pretty solid in this one and this is definitely like your southern gothic like kind of tale like spooky kind of story about a big house and uh, it has a lot of the you know cliches that we'd see in these types of movies that would pop up and stuff like black christmas with the phone calls and the perversions this movie is very dirty to me it just comes across super dirty uh the girl starts to get these uh really nasty phone calls and uh obsessive weird phone calls and you realize it stems back from her childhood where there was a murder and that's why she moved in the first place and hasn't been back there since she's been a little girl so it's a, a rich history uh, in this house, a rich history in this town involving all these characters. Uh, if I remember correctly, there's not particularly very much gore. It's not very gratuitous, but it has a nice little gothic, a southern gothic feel to it, which I didn't expect. Um, and there's a brilliant scene in the attic. It, it looks absolutely beautiful because the attic has four different color windows, so they're all coming in, so you get all these different, uh, you know, great, great, uh, you know, lighting. You get red and green on her face, and I, I just kind of like it. It ends in a <laughs> kind of a crazy crazy note. Uh, I just, I, I enjoyed it. I was very surprised with it. It looked a lot better than expected. It sounded a lot better than expected. It was made better. The story was better. Everything was better than Don't Look in the Basement. And that, that makes sense. It was a couple years later. He probably, you know, had uh, you know, grown a little bit as a filmmaker. But uh, this one's actually really solid. And I don't think it really gets that much love. It's uh, Don't Open the Door. And uh, Or Don't Hang Up is the alternative name. On the desk, there was like five minutes of deleted scenes. It actually helped with the story. 
Uh, so I, I like seeing those. And uh, I did listen to the commentary for Don't Look in the Basement with David Duvall and David Dakota. Uh, and I love their commentaries. They have a great back and forth. They're very funny and very knowledgeable. And uh, they talk about, you know, the Grindhouse days, going to theaters, seeing triple bills at the drive-in and whatnot. And uh, that's mostly what they talk about. Some of the actors in Don't Look in the Basement. But they're not like big stars, which they're used to talking about. But that's a, that's a nice commentary. So it, it's worth picking up for the commentary. But I would really recommend checking out uh, this double feature. I mean, Don't Look in the basement's okay it's solid but uh don't uh, open the door is actually underrated and kind of a i don't want to say lost gem because i know a lot of people have seen it and they don't particularly care for it but i was just surprised you know it's just got a nice southern gothic feel like i said it's well acted it's dirty all I put for my letterbox review is dirty, dirty, dirty. That's really just seems really grimy, and they really capture it. It does feel very seventies. Has a lot of the, like I said, tropes that you'll see and pop up in other things. And uh, I just like it. Uh, it's a good movie and a great performance by the judge. And I love that he keeps bringing up these uh, little uh, things about uh, literature and uh, chopping off heads and whatnot. It's, it's pretty cool, and it's nice to figure out. You know, you don't know who necessarily the killer is, but you know who's doing what they are doing. And and when it's revealed exactly what's happening. Yeah, you're not surprised, but uh, it's pretty cool. It also reminds me of uh, that movie Blood and Lace from back in the day, uh, the real PG sicky, then uh, the opening and all that. They, they they feel similar in a lot of ways, but, you know, or something like, uh, what was that one, Scalpel, that came out, that kind of feel of the house and the look and whatnot, but cool stuff. And uh, like I said, Don't Look in the Basement never looks very good, and it doesn't look great here, um, but uh, Don't uh, Hang Up looks pretty good. After 13 years away from home, she returned to a house of terror. Shocking motion picture of suspense and horror. There was no place to hide from fear or death. What do you want, Claude? I know what you and Crawler did to Miss Harriet. Take only so much fear. Rated PG. 
Okay, the next one here is Night of the Virgin. And this is a movie from Columbia, made in 2016. I think it was just recently released here. I had not heard much about this one. Uh, so I started watching it, and I was like, okay, we have this kind of loser guy on New Year's going around trying to, you know, uh, get laid. He's obviously a virgin. They kind of do it. He feels like the Colombian McLovin, if that makes sense to anybody. Uh, so... He's uh, going around, and he meets this uh, middle-aged lady. Um, she takes him back home. The house is disgusting. There's cockroaches there. And uh, pretty soon you realize that uh, she is uh, has this weird uh, spirituality. She has a strange religion. She's obsessed with Nepal, and uh, and she has these uh, strange like rituals that she's doing. And, of course, she tries to seduce him. And a lot of comedic, weird, awkward moments in here. Um but she falls asleep, and he's stranded in the house underneath her because she passes out on top of him. In the morning, he's ready to leave. He's getting cell phone messages from his friends making fun of him the entire time. And he's ready to leave, and uh, somebody's coming up the elevator. It's the girl's boyfriend. She quickly locks the door. They barricade themselves in. The boyfriend's threatening to kill her, and that's basically what you think is going to happen here. But as the story unfolds, more and more things are revealed. She has her um, menstrual blood in the bathroom for some reason, and there's uh, she starts to kind of like go a little bit crazy and different and the guy outside uh the door starts to change his tune i don't want to spoil anything more besides that but it's it definitely like darkly humorous but uh this one is just barf inducing there's lots of disgusting things uh when you bring in like menstrual blood and cockroaches and sex and it's all mixed in there uh, it's just so gross to be honest there's lots of moments that made me cringe and kind of uh just everything is very disgusting and it just feels grimy and gross and nearly all the characters Characters in the movie are just kind of disgusting and despicable and not very likable. It's bloody. There's some really um, crazy scenes involving childbirth that you don't expect someone to give childbirth. Um, there's somebody drugged by their um, umbilical cord after they give birth, which is really crazy. And the, the way it's shot is actually pretty cool. They do it from above and show and, and like a wonder. Uh, just insane movie uh made me fairly ill at the end it gets really silly um it's just crazy crazy weird movie it does feel like it runs a little longer than it should but uh i don't really like the movie but i kind of have respect for it in a lot of ways and i'd definitely be interested to see what the director did next um like i said it it's definitely feels like it should have been it's made it would be made like 15 years ago here like and especially it's a lot of the dialogue like terms like faggot are used very often and it's just like nowadays people don't usually use that term i'm sure some people do but you just don't hear it as much as you used to so it pops up a lot in that in here uh almost everybody in the movie that the lead character comes in contact with is pretty repulsive and pretty annoying but uh it's just a crazy movie you kind of have to see for yourself it has a lot of uh gross things happening and uh, it's definitely got its own uh vibe and its own flavor even if that flavor is uh barf inducing Tenía razón, eh? mejor esto que la fiesta. No solo que habría tardado en irme, sino... Bueno, si... Si yo no te hubiese rescatado. Tranquilo. Aquí estás a salvo.
no te preocupes por nada, ¿vale? Todo va a salir bien. ¿Por qué no hacéis esto? Okay, guys, the next one here is from Vinegar Syndrome. This is the house on Tombstone Hill, a.k.a. the Dead Come Home, a.k.a. Dead Dudes in the House. Is that what it's going to say on the reversible cover or on one of the discs, Dead Dudes in the House? Uh, that's what I originally knew this movie from. Uh, it was uh, distributed by Troma. I always had I had the DVDs the first time I saw it. This title to me always stuck out because it's such a ridiculous title, Dead Dudes in the House. And uh, me and my cousin, when we were young, we saw that title. We thought it was the funniest thing ever. We always kept repeating it. Um, so that, that movie always stuck in my head. And I remember seeing it, you know, 10 years ago, whenever that disc was released. And I was like, oh, that was much better than I expected. Um, Rewatching it here was kind of, uh, you know, surprising. I didn't care for it as much as I thought I would. Uh, Troma did, I mean, um, Vinegar Syndrome did a really great job restoring this thing. It looks freaking great. And it sounds pretty good as well. No complaints in that department, but uh, the movie is your uh, story about these uh, group of friends. One buys this rundown junkie house, and they're supposed to renovate it. They get trapped in a the house. There's this weird old lady, clearly played by a man, uh, going around killing all the friends. But there's a little twist on it. The house seems to have some sort of curse on it, and anybody who dies in a house comes back as a weird ghost zombie type thing. At first, you think that they really can't harm people, but about halfway through the movie, they start harming people as well. So that's basically the plot of the movie. So they have to confront this weird old lady lady with and uh and their dead friends and survive uh halfway through this movie there's a couple new characters introduced which is super sloppy and i don't understand why it was done maybe to beef up the kill count or maybe they wrote themselves in some sort of corner and they didn't have enough characters and they're like we need at least 20 more minutes or 20 more pages to the script not sure why that was done um um, there is a funny gimmick in here where they're about to show nudity and instead they do something like horrific to kind of surprise you. The gore in here is actually what sells the movie. There's lots of really strong gore. Um, somebody gets cut in half, uh, people get stabbed, people get, uh, kind of crucified. And when the people come back as these like ghost type zombies, they take on a personality that's a little bit more um, extreme than their old personality. They're more aggressive. They're violent, obviously. They're dead. They're, you know, dead dudes in a house now. So they start to like attack their friends and they play tricks on them and here and there. But for what it is, I mean, it, it's kind of impressive that they managed to shoot this whole movie in pretty much one location. And uh, it, it does feel a little slow at times because of that, because um, they only can walk around. The whole movie is them walking around, getting trapped in a room. Somebody gets picked off. Off. The gore is solid. Um, the characters in particular aren't that well fleshed out. Y you don't really care about them. There's like two that really stand out. The dickhead guy and the nice guy. Those two seem to have a little bit more personality than a lot of the other ones. And uh, it shows, really. And I, I, the acting, it's not particularly well written in its dialogue department. So when it comes through in the acting, it's just not very well done. It's just very amateur seeming. And that's probably due to the dialogue itself. Um, 
And this is a haunted house slasher movie, so it's not meant to be anything more than that. And they do deliver on what they promise. It's not, you know, offensive or anything like that to your sensibilities if you like that sort of thing. And I, I typically do. And uh, it's just fairly enjoyable. It's right down the middle. You're not going to hate it, but you won't love it. Um, there's some fun moments, like I said, but uh, they almost tend to overdo some of the characters, like the two characters they do have. It's almost like, just knock that guy out already. He's already to the point where he's unbearable to be around um but like i said it does have its moments it's not perfectly fine i it is funny because you're watching it and i was like is that that's definitely a guy with the old woman and i like the idea that the old the old woman is the killer that's kind of fun thing to do and some of the dialogue this movie would be much better watched with a group of people to enjoy it and i think it would have like kind of a a fun more fun aspect than watching it by yourself because it's not like overall like stupid it's not trying to be stupid but it does have that kind of unintentional humor and it is trying to it is aware that it does have this goofiness i mean it is an old lady walking around killing people but it's not over the top in a stupid way if that makes any sense to anybody like i said some decent gore scenes um and that's pretty much what it's got going for it. It does set up some good shots. There is a nice shot in here where a girl goes to look for her boyfriend and there's blood splattered on the wall and you, you kind of follow her up. I like that. I thought it built suspense pretty well. Um, on the disc, there's an interview with three of the actors and it's kind of like a little like 30-minute thing. I like that. They talk about how they got involved with the movie. They talk about how they, you know the experience was and everything like that liked hearing that there's also like a 40 minute interview with the director he talks about it how the trauma handled the distro and whatnot and how he didn't like the name changes and and how it didn't particularly look great on its uh, initial trauma release or on on, on te- and then it was played on television and whatnot that's pretty interesting that's pretty fun the director doesn't have any like uh delusions of grandeur how he talks about this and he talks uh realistically about being involved in the film business and you know how he pretty much wasn't a successful person or anything like that and I I liked hearing that that was interesting stuff and uh you know this is a nice release like I said I'm not the biggest fan of it but I think that a lot of people will appreciate it and uh it is kind of a a a lesser movie that people don't really talk about that has you know for gorehounds will have some moments that they're satisfied like I said some of it's actually pretty good um so Check out Dead Dudes in the House or House on Tombstone Hill or The Dead Come Home. Lots of names to choose from. Hey man, you really put a down payment on this thing? Just to fix it up. Besides, you practically gave it away. Yeah, maybe there's a reason for that. All that blood came from. It's your boyfriend's blood. <laughs> Uh, 
Okay, the next one I actually don't have a disc for. I don't think it's even released yet. It was sent over by uh, John uh, Oak Dalton, I believe his name is. He is. Uh, this is his first directed film. This is The Girl in the Crawl Space. And I'm familiar with this guy because he wrote a lot of stuff for Henrik Koto's movies. I believe he wrote The Haunted House on Sorority Row. And I think that's my favorite of Henrik Koto's movies. So he wrote a lot of his movies and wrote some other stuff. And Henrik Koto actually does the cinematography on this movie. So that's pretty cool. Um, you know, uh, helping him on his first movie. But... This one stars Aaron uh, Ryan in it and uh, Joni Dernian. You guys will know them from a slew of uh, Dustin Mills movies, Henrik Koto's movies, other movies. So uh, I know those two. Um, they, I've worked with them both a bunch of times. They're really great uh, people. And uh, I'm going to be biased because I like them. So I'm, I'm going to say that right up front. Um, so right there. The girl in the crawl space follows the story of a girl who escaped this crawl space and, uh, from a serial killer. And she's been trapped in there. She's very, uh, you know tortured and uh she had a lot of problems and uh we realized that the killer was um you know killed by the sheriff the local sheriff woody and we have this girl who moves back to her hometown played by Joni durian aaron r ryan plays the girl in the crawl space and uh Joni durian moves back to her hometown to inherit her uh, father's house with her uh, boyfriend they move back from la so there's definitely that misplaced guy from la has no clue where he's at deal and she's a psychiatrist, decides to try to take Aaron Ryan in and help her kind of, uh, you know, feel what the problem is. Aaron R. Ryan has this mental, you know, problem that she can no longer be enclosed in places because she had this uh, forced claustrophobia on her, put on her. She was forced in this crawl space for so long. And they start to discuss and it unfolds. And you realize that, uh, you know, some, some strange things happen to her and her psyche is really messed up. The idea that she was watching movies down there, there's reveals and whatnot that I'm not going to spoil. Um, there's reveals with characters in the movies. And then there's a side story with the husband that uh, you realize that he is probably one of the biggest pieces of crap ever. I wanted to punch him in the face several times during this movie. And at first I was like, I don't know if I like his performance. And then I was like, you know what? Actually, it's... It, if he makes me want to punch him in the face, that's a pretty good performance. So uh, that's that's pretty impressive, to be honest. That you never see those characters that you don't know if you don't like the performance or you don't actually like the character. Uh, that that's actually most of the time it's actually a good performance. Um, Jamie Davis comes to mind for me. I never like him in movies. He always plays the same like snizzly, like Weasley character, and I always want to punch him in the face. And I think that's just a good performance on his part. But I um, am interpreting it as something else. And I think at first I was doing that kind of thing as well. But uh, uh, you know, uh, like I said, he's such a despicable character and he's so selfish, but maybe that's a statement on people from LA by the director. I'm not sure, but, um, there's also, uh, things that the first thing a lot of people learn about and, uh, you know, writing or anything. And it's, it's a very good advice is write what you know. And this is exactly, I'm not saying that this guy was abducted by serial killer and held in the cross space, but I'm saying that in this film, there's a lot of a uh, movie, you know, rife with movie, uh, trivia, knowledge and pokes and stuff. They, they talk tons about movies. There's a D and D group, but it's not called D and D. I think they changed the name for fear of being sued, which was smart, but there's a scene where all these people are role playing and you find out that Aaron's character used to role play in that group. And the guy from California starts role playing in that group. And you realize that all these characters are obsessed with films. They start to name tons of obscure movies and lots of spaghetti westerns that people probably wouldn't know 
too much, but some a big film fans would know a lot of them, and I, I kind of like that um, because a lot of times they'll have characters just say this kind of stuff in movies out of the blue, but just that it's a bunch of nerds in a in a kind of a place like that, like movie nerds and like a gamer nerds. It makes more sense to kind of get that in there, and I enjoyed hearing it for once. Usually that doesn't always work for me, but it worked here. Uh, some of the other acting, you know, side characters are iffy and shaky. I think Aaron Ryan does a really good job. Joni during it's solid, and like I said, the the lead, the boyfriend I hated, so I'm he probably did a good job because. I don't think you're supposed to particularly like him. I did enjoy like a couple of the side characters, especially the the lead D&D gamer guy. It's not overly gory or gratuitous. The cinematography, it, all interior shots are well lit and uh, they look pretty good. It looks pretty professional. There's a couple of quick exterior um like establishing shots that look a little flat, but I'm not sure what those are. You know what I mean? Like, I don't remember most of the stuff outside looked pretty good, but there's like a couple, just a quick couple that I thought look kind of like less, uh, not as color graded as they should have been, but this was a screener copy. Like I said as well, maybe it's not a finalized copy as well. Just a couple shots, but uh, I thought it looked pretty good. I thought it was a serious story for somebody's debut movie. I think that's kind of ballsy first directed movie, taking something such a serious subject matter. And, uh, I do like the idea that they're going to the psychological moments in this character character and they they kind of take it seriously they don't uh put a bunch of crap like everything in the kitchen sink in with this character it's well thought out it's well done uh the way it unfolds is solid. There's not much action in the actual movie itself, but there's a couple good, strong reveals. The first reveal that I liked, I don't want to spoil, involves the movies. I thought that was a better reveal than the final reveal, if that makes any sense. But a uh, pretty cool movie, um, a nice uh, debut uh, directed movie by uh, John Oak Dalton, and uh, I'm looking forward to seeing what they do next. Uh, pretty cool. Um, you know, I had some people I like, so I am biased, but uh, when this comes out, check it out. Also, it's got a cool title, to be honest, The Girl in the Crawl Space. You're entering a dark chamber. A single beam of pale moonlight falls on an ancient sword jutting from another dragon horde. I hope it's not a singing sword. He only likes ABBA. <laughs> For you... I'll make this sort of boy band fan. <laughs> <laughs> like, nothing beats tabletop. Unless you had, like, one of those virtual reality simulators where it, like, looks like you're, uh, you know, you're just sitting around a table playing RPGs. If that happened, y'all wouldn't be sitting here. It'd be Linda Carter as Wonder Woman, and Deirdre Hall as Electra Woman, and Barbara Bain as Cinnamon Carter, and Diana Rigg as Mrs. Peel. You mean Gal Gadot as Wonder Woman. Scarlett Johansson as Black Widow, and Rooney Mara as Lisbeth Salander, and Zhang Ziyi in Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. Suzanne Plachette in The Birds, mm -hmm. Linda Sterling in Zorro's Black Whip, Margot Kidder in Superman 2, and Mia Farrow in Rosemary's Baby. After Satan kicked her to the curb? Get real, dude. What, no love for the bionic woman? You guys suck. Steve Reeves. In Hercules Unchained, Gordon Scott in Hercules vs. Moloch, Alan Steele in Hercules Against the Moon Men, and Reg Park in Hercules in the Haunted World. And you're sitting there like Peter Lupus never made Hercules and the Tyrants of Babylon. Has nobody seen Mickey Hargaday in Hercules vs. the Hydra? Seriously. Maurizio Merle in Menagerie, A Man Called Blade, Terence Hill in God Forgives, I Don't, Johnny Garco in Sartana, The Gravedigger, Franco Nero in Kioma.
I can't believe you're leaving out Giuliano Gemma. Maybe return to Ringo, but he's too pretty in a sky full of stars for a roof. <laughs> so, are you going to get back in this or not, Django? One day. One day. Cool. Okay, guys, the next one here. I don't have a copy yet, as it's not getting released till uh, October 30th on Blu-ray. But what I did watch was I bought a copy of it on Vudu. It is Mandy by uh, Panos Cosmatos, uh, the son of director George Cosmatos. I have not seen his first film, Beyond the Black Rainbow. I've had it, but I didn't have a chance to watch it. I hear cool things, but Mandy sounded like it was something uh, I would enjoy more. It's a revenge film. I love revenge films. Everybody knows that. It's one of my favorite subgenres. Almost every revenge film I enjoy to a certain, to a certain extent. And uh, Mandy is no different. <laughs> I don't know where to start this. Now, almost everything on paper revenge films are fairly the, the same plot. Somebody's done something wrong to you or a loved one, and you go out and get revenge on them. But the way Mandy unfolds, so, I mean, it, it unfolds similar in that way. But the way it looks, the characters in the movie are all special. Um, every shot in Mandy looks so good that there's some movies that have one shot that look this good and it, and it brings it to your attention. If that makes sense. Like most movies don't have five shots that look this good. Mandy looks amazing. Now, some people say it's just, you know, it, it's no needed to be, it's not needed to be shot like that, but it's super vibrant, super colorful and uh, seizure inducing at times to me. Um, the movie is very surreal and very trippy. It follows the story of uh, Nicolas Cage and his wife. They're very close. It seems that Nicolas Cage is a haunted guy. In the very beginning of the movie, they do something smart where somebody offers him a drink after they're doing their job. And um, he doesn't take the drink and it's very subtle it's very in the beginning you should realize oh he probably has a problem with alcohol or something along the lines because i mean most people in real life that would be like that doesn't symbolize that okay in real life but in that moment you kind of feel like if they're going to take the time to show it because they show so many crazy things in this movie and different things that all kind of come back up at the end then they're doing that for a reason and it does come into play um and I like that. Uh, something happens tragically to Nicolas Cage and his wife. I don't want to spoil much. But after that, the movie becomes insane. Uh, there is a cult involved that uh, is the uh, culprits of this horrible act. And they um, kind of uh, feed drugs to these black skulls, which are these weird Cenobite bikers things that are kind of mutated monsters that have gone so far past that drug state that they are insane. And Visually, they look amazing. Any movie that's going to try to incorporate Cenobites that isn't a Hellraiser movie, so to some extent, those kind of Cenobite creatures is okay in my book. Um, see um, Ozone by uh, J.R. Bookwald. That's the only other movie I can think of like that. But uh, really love their character designs. And uh, there's some really good moments in here. And Nicolas Cage, um, everybody knows that Nicolas Cage has a tendency sometimes to go over the top, to be crazy, to not be able to be drug in correctly. But the moments that Nicolas Cage does go crazy in here are justified, and they're awesome. There's a scene where when he realizes what's happened, it kind of reminds me of that scene in Unforgiven, where we have Mooney, or Moody, is it Mooney, who doesn't drink anymore. Um, and when he finds certain information out, he begins to drink again. Nicolas Cage does that tenfold. And that's what brings on his, you know, releasing this monster in him. He becomes what he's after, of course. You know, becomes what he hates. And and the stuff that follows is intense. There's lots of beautiful visuals that are in, 
amazing. Uh, the bad guy is super creepy, and I listened to the Shockwaves podcast. They got the director to admit that it was kind of Richard Lynch-like, and which I like to see, because Richard Lynch is great. But... I absolutely uh, love this movie. I love the uh, special effects, the gore, the mo- the bad guys were great. Um, there's shout-outs to Texas Shades on Massacre 2, which I'm not going to spoil that much. There's shout-outs to lots of things. The director said he was watching a lot of uh, Death Wish revenge movies, and, and it's almost like uh, you know uh, a revenge movie on drugs uh, where the lead character is not really a reliable narrator, and you're kind of getting sucked into this crazy drug world. And uh, I, I really enjoyed that. I uh, love watching revenge films, like I said. There's some great lines in here. Everybody's talking about Cheddar Goblin, and and that scene is pretty funny, but uh, there's a great moment in here. That's my favorite shirt. You ripped my favorite shirt. And I... I laughed out loud and then it comes, I was like, that's so weird and off the wall and out of nowhere, but it comes to play later. And I was like, Oh, I love that too. So I would really recommend checking this out. A lot of people are saying, this is just artsy bull crap. I don't care. I enjoyed watching it. It, it was cathartic. The revenge was cathartic. Uh, the bad guys were weird and creepy. And there's a moment where this one guy goes to talk and he doesn't let him talk, which was, which was great too. Cause at that point you're like, screw that guy. He doesn't deserve to talk anymore. He's talked enough. But, uh, <laughs> there's a moment where the bad guy has a breakdown and then it comes back and realizes that it's it just good stuff, man. Great stuff. Uh, everything about it. It's memorizing. It's insanity. It's, I've never seen anything quite like it. Um, love it or hate it. You ain't seen nothing like it. What you gonna do with that thing? Going hunting. So what you hunting? It's crazy evil. You think you're so in love? I'll show you love. Oh man, they robbed you. The cosmic darkness. It glowed from within, strange and eternal.
Okay, guys, the next one here is Summer of 84. This is by the director of Turbo Kid, uh, the, the film group. The filmmakers, there's like three directors of Turbo Kid in this, and same same group. Uh, summer of 84, this seemed like it was right up my alley. And you know what I said something about, uh, you ain't seen uh, about Mandy. I said, love it or hate it, you ain't seen nothing like it. Uh, this one, you've seen stuff like it. You've seen stuff like this for the last, uh, since the 80s. But Summer of 84, I'm going to take some slack for this. And I don't want to come in too strong on this one, because I'm still pondering on it. That makes sense to anybody. Uh, everybody's loving this one and I expected to like it. I had mixed feelings on Turbo Kid. I, I love like the score and I love the idea more than the actual movie. And that's exactly how I feel about Summer of 84. We have a group of kids, um, you know, that, uh, whole Amblin feel with, uh, you know, the Lucas, I mean, the Spielberg movies like E.T. or, and then we go in later, like the Goonies and them like more so like Monster Squad. This movie feels like Monster Squad, a group of kids. They all fit their like kind of like character types. We have the kid who comes from the abusive home who's tough, but you know, there's, there's some sensitivity in there. We have the nerdy kid. We have like the kind of big kid who has a, uh, you know, a mother who is kind of like really works hard and he's kind of left alone and he has a sadness to him. And then we have the lead kid who has an overactive imagination. It's all the character types that you've seen before in these movies. It, so it set, it puts you in this kind of adventurous world and the whole movie feels adventurous at times. And then every once in a while, there's a moment of darkness and that moment of darkness does work okay. But even in movies that it's inspired by, like Monster Squad and The Burbs, it's inspired by these movies that, although they do have their dark moments, that there's going to be a good outcome. There's going to be something there. And this movie doesn't have that. And now people will say, that's what makes it beautiful. That's what makes it wonderful, is that it throws a, left, uh, a curb. Somebody could say that it surprises you because of that. I would say that its tone isn't right. The whole movie's tone doesn't come across good to me. I think that Super Dark Times, which was made last year, a lot of people don't like that. And uh, I think that one works better because I think it's a tone. I think it's mostly kids involved. And I think it feels more realistic to a certain extent when you unleash that beast. And this one, we have two characters that are flushed out, to be honest. They have more than just your typical two-dimensional characters. I feel that the character, what was his name, uh... Uh, that the kids suspect is a serial killer, Muncie, Mancy, Mancy, Muncie, sorry, Mancy, I think it is. Um, they suspect is a serial killer, has a good character. I think that he is well fleshed out. And uh, Woody, the heavyset kid, is well fleshed out as well. Besides that, the other characters are way too two-dimensional to really get involved with, especially the lead character. They even pull moments in this where there'll be a character that says, uh, everything's great now, and then they give five, and then it cuts to something that's going to be bad. It's just like, really, that's what's happening here? I do appreciate that they had the guts to do what they did, but it doesn't feel like it fits in the movie. Like I said, it would be like watching a movie that's completely inspired by universal horror. Everything feels like it's right out of a universal horror movie. And then at the end of the movie, they throw in a gangbang at the end. Now, some people will be like, I would love that. Me, I don't. And if I could watch this again with maybe, I might enjoy it. I might be able to get past that because it's a well-made movie. For the most part, it's well-acted. I like the music. I do like that like synth kind of style. It, it's well shot. There's nothing particularly wrong with it on a technical level. Script level, I, I'm iffy on. There's good performances, especially, like I said, by uh, Woody and uh, uh, the suspected serial killer who's a cop. He does a great performance. Um it does feel a little repetitive at times, doing the same things over and over again. It, it's the rear window story where I've seen something, or I think I've seen something, I'm going to become obsessed with it, no matter if I'm right or wrong. You know, the burbs. 
And this is what happens. These kids start to dig into what they think is a suspected serial killer while kids are going missing in their neighborhood. And that's a good setup. And uh, it's inspired by stuff I love. And somebody asked me, you know, what with about the throwbacks at one point, you know, and I always love them at first. And I did love these for a long time. Maybe it's just hit a wall for me. And I'm being completely unfair to this movie because there is that chance. There is that chance. This is a movie I need to rewatch and I need to discuss with someone. And I could come completely around. Right now I'm somewhere in the middle, you know, like a a five to six and and like out of ten. I could come around. I could go stronger because like I said, it's well made and it has these moments. And there's been times where movies have pissed me off to an extent for something they did. And, And when a movie has power like that, it's a good thing. And I do take it in as a bad thing at the time because it pissed me off. If that makes sense to anybody. These are movies that I would need to sit back and think about more. Which is good because it's 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 evoking a discussion in my mind. But uh, I, I'm not sure really how I feel about it. And I'm not sure if uh, it's my fault or the movie's fault yet. But the summer of 84, um, something to look out for. De- definitely watch it. Definitely check it out. And uh, most people are loving it, so I'm wrong. Like there's a time every there's always that movie that uh, everybody has one that they watch and they don't like but everybody does and this might be it for me I don't mean I don't hate it but I don't love it either right now don't know the sheriff's office reports they're likely looking for a white male preferred targets appear to be males age 12 to 16. It's a serial killer. Cave Bay Chronicle received a letter from an individual calling themselves the Cave Bay Slayer. There's a serial killer on the loose. What else could possibly be this exciting? Incoming titties. 12 o'clock. Guys, Nikki Keshuba. Scientifically the perfect woman. Huh. Better view of my room than I thought. Sweet dreams. Emergency meeting. Treehouse. Now. Mackie is the Cave Bay Slayer. Mackie's a cop with a sick reputation. Wasn't counting on us. Hey, guys, I'm freaking out, okay? Relax. You look like you're 30. It's gonna be fine. Now go. You're gonna get caught either by Mackie or your dad. I know I'm right about him. That doesn't prove anything. Are you with me? I don't want anything bad to happen to you. We're trying to save people. Yeah, well, you're not. Guys at the station are gonna love this. (laughs) Just let it go. Sorry again that you're uh, grounded. Let's see if I can get you out of this house. No hard feelings. Okay, guys, the next one here is Tales of Terror. This is an anthology by Roger Corman, made in 1962, with uh, some horror icons in it. Uh, Vincent Price, Peter Lorre. It's three stories adapted from Edgar Allan Poe. Uh, the first being, uh, what was it, Morella. The second being The Black Cat. Uh, the third being uh, The Strange Case of Dr. Vellamore, I believe it is. I've seen renditions of all these before, except I don't think I've ever seen a Morella tale. But the black cat in this movie is more so the cast of uh, Montiano mixed with the black cat. And, uh, yeah. So, yeah. the first one uh, is okay. It's a standard uh, kind of uh, 
uh, Corman Poe thing you'd think you're saying. Uh, Vincent Price, without a mustache, pretty solid in it. Mm -hmm. A girl, a young girl comes home um, after being gone for years um, to talk to her father because she has a secret and wants to get it off her chest and, you know, kind of, you know, connect, reconnect with her father. And uh, they have a sad history with a mother who passed away. And uh, it's not as it seems. There's some spooky going ons. Yeah, and it's just those two for the majority of it, and they, they carry the screen pretty well. And especially Price. Yeah, ab absolutely Price. Um, the sets are all beautiful, and yeah, yeah. this first one I was blown away by it. And you know, when you got a beautiful set in a Corman Poe movie, it's got to burn down. Like Tim yeah. Lucas says in the commentary, it's got to <laughs> burn down. Uh, so yeah, there's that. Uh, the second one is the standout of the whole entire movie. It's brilliant. It's great. Uh, you see Peter Lorre working with Vincent Price directly. And I don't, I'm not as familiar with Peter Lorre as I want to be. I know he's a horror icon. I know he's been in a lot of things. But uh, this story is beautiful. We have a drunk played by Peter Lawyer who neglects, Peter Lawyer who neglects his wife, his much younger, be more beautiful wife, mm -hmm. and, uh, go, he, and goes and gets drunk. And he ends up stumbling in this wine tasting uh, place. And Vincent Price is this big expert. And Peter Lawyer calls him out and says, I can do it better than you. And he's half drunk. They have this wine tasting off. <laughs> and it, it, go figure, Peter Lawyer being a drunk is just as good about uh, describing what wines are as Vincent Price. And that uh, comedy and Sue's brilliantly in that scene. Uh, I loved it. Um, it. It's very, very funny. Yeah, um, I, I, I don't. I've never seen Peter Lorre in really anything, and I kind of want to see him in everything now. He's an MF, I believe. I believe it is him. I don't think I've ever seen him. And, and you know the the funny thing is, like he's a classic actor. Um, I don't think we ever seen him. No, but uh, we've seen other movies by that Fritz Lang. But yeah. Um, uh, the funny thing, the thing that comes to mind for Peter Lawyer to me always is that story about the Hillside Stranglers. If you guys never read that story, look into it. It, it involves uh, them picking up a girl and they're ready to uh, kill her. And then they look through her wallet. They're acting like cops and they see that she has a picture of Peter Lawyer. They say, why do you have this? And he says, he's my uncle. And they say, oh, we love him. Um, just just get out of here. She did not know how close she came to being <laughs> killed by the Hillside Stranglers because she, she was related to Peter Lorre. She lived. Shouldn't, it's completely unrelated to this movie, though. But as it progresses, Vincent Price starts this love affair with Peter Lorre's uh, wife. And uh, Peter Lorre is not going to let that stand. Uh, that's where the uh, Casa Vamaniano storyline plays in. Uh, there's also a black cat, of course, in this story that he cannot stand. <laughs> and those two stories are mixed together in a way. Um, to me, I mean, Fortunato wasn't he originally in the Casa Vamaniano? I he? think I think that's the character who gets bricked into the wall. It's it's and, yeah yeah. For, uh, Fortunato is a Vincent Price character, and, yeah. and I think yeah he is the one that gets yeah. It's two of those stories mixed yeah. in, if I remember correctly. But uh, yeah, like I said, it works. It's very funny, uh, and uh, the stuff that Peter Lorre says under his breath <laughs> when people aren't paying attention, he's like, ah. Oh, It'll be a great day for me, or something like that. It's just really wonderful. He's yeah. very funny in it. I was surprised at something like, like, oh, I possibly couldn't resist. And Peter Lorre is like, so I've noticed, because <laughs> he couldn't resist his wife. Um, yeah. These two have great chemistry together. Um, I don't know if Peter Lorre, if he's as, if he acts the way that in all of his other movies, like he acts in this, it's like, 
I really want to see more of him. I, he's just so charming well, to me. That one was a comedy, so he got to actually act alongside Vincent Price. And it's always a treat to see like two forces of nature like this coming together and finally right. seeing it. And like I, I, like I said, I'm not as familiar with Peter Lorre as I'd like to be, but you could tell that they had mutual respect for each other. It's similar to the scene in Raw Meat when Donald Pleasance and Christopher Lee act on screen together for the first time. That's the only time I think they got to act together, and it's wonderful. And, and it always is like that. Or De Niro and Pacino and Heat. Like, two forces of nature that never got to do a movie together, and when they actually have that chemistry, you're like, yes, because they're like, oh, I have respect for this guy. We come from, like, a similar world, and we got to show each other up. we both got to have fun here, and we got to do it right. And the audience loves seeing it, too. They just they're feed into mm-hmm. that. It, it's, it's brilliant right there. Um, of course, it adds in typical fashion. And you guys know how those stories turn out. Poe is a master, and... There's no real rap around except some narration and some things like that. It's it's not perfect. It's not great. Yeah. But this story is amazing. It's one of the better anthology stories I've seen for sure. Uh, the final is The Strange Case of Dr. Voldemort. Um, Voldemort. I, I, I know that that was done in Two Evil Eyes as well, the Romero segment. And uh, this story is okay about a scientist who has weird mesmeration po- mesmer- what is it? mesmerizing powers. Uh, and he... Uh, Vincent Price is dying, and he's healing him mentally so he won't feel pain. And uh, this guy, Basil Rathborn, who's actually like a classic uh, actor too, who I'm not as familiar with as I'd like to be. He's pretty good in this. He uh, is control. He starts to uh, make a deal with Price that on your moment of death, I want to kind of hypnotize you <coughs> so that uh, you maybe elongate your life in a certain way. But he has other plans, and mm-hmm. that's the story. Uh, this one unfolds pretty well. And then and it's very typical. Um, the first and last stories are very decent, but the middle story is very brilliant, so mm-hmm. it makes up for it. Um, they're all they're all good, but the middle one is great. If that makes sense. Yeah, and the middle one's the longest one, isn't it? It feels the longest. It's definitely yeah. the best. <laughs> and you have any other comments on this one? No, I I really like the wine tasting scene between the two in the middle one. And Benson Price is dumb. <laughs> Yeah, the, just the, the the expressions like it's it's a beautiful movie. There's lots of great face acting in this movie yeah. between those two. Um, Roger Corman is on the features, ten minutes. Director, producer, he talks about it. Uh, this movie and his memorizations on there. Um, it's a pretty good interview. There's a a trailer from Hell on here where Roger Corman recalls incorrectly a part of the story, but it's been what. For him, probably like 50 years. <laughs> this guy's probably directed more movies than he has years in life. You know what I mean? And he's old as dust, but still kicking. Roger Corman is one of the guys that um, is probably one of the most important uh, individuals for low-budget filmmaking of all time to me. Um, and he's one of those guys that, uh, like Canon Films, but API, way before AIP, Pictures. I know that um, they were a production company that he wasn't running, but he did a lot of movies for them. And later do his own movies. But he was one of those guys that brought in these classic actors and gave them work when no one else would. And uh, these, I'm just happy to see these movies and they still shine. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. Think about like if AIP didn't exist or Roger Corman didn't exist, how many actors wouldn't have got their start and how many old actors wouldn't have got any more work? Mm-hmm. Like he employed Boris Karloff, Vincent Price, you know, all these guys. So it's really nice to see that and uh, give them an outlet for their movies. And they did great too. They always do great. <sighs> I would say, you know, Halloween's coming up, so like... these are per- That's why I wanted to this, watch it. Yeah, this is perfect for Halloween, Tales of Terror. Um, it just, it has like such a good like gothic. ambiance, gothic like style about it. It's like, 
Yeah, I'd watch this. And your kids could watch it, too, if you got yeah, kids. Exactly. I mean, I love these kind of movies during Halloween. These are the ones I go towards, like Hammer or Amicus or Universal or AIP. Those are the ones that uh, suck to me. Like, they're just, like, they're fun, and they're not too gratuitously bad. Um, at, like, I know a lot of people will be like, I want to watch Halloween and the Demons. I tend to go for stuff like that. Um, it's just a lot of fun to me. I always like that kind of stuff, the classic gothic horror. Gothic horror and Halloween are hand-in-hand to mm-hmm. me. But that's the I enjoy watching that kind of stuff. Um, there also there's two interview uh, two commentaries on here. I didn't get a chance to listen to all the Tim Lucas one, but Tim Lucas is the man. He knows everything. Does some interesting stories on there. Enjoyed hearing that. And there's one with David Davall on here who I also love, and David Frankham, um, who I'm not too familiar with, but uh, da- I, I'm not familiar with it at all actually. But David Duvall is great. He knows a lot. He always does the uh, commentaries with David Dakota. I talked about him earlier on a previous disc to this week. But uh, yeah, um, so uh, this is a nice release from Kino. No subtitles, which was a, a shame. But uh, a really enjoyable one, and uh, never turned Vincent Price down. Love Vincent Price movies; he's my favorite. Like somebody asked, well, who my favorite classical actor of those guys was? His was Christopher Lee. Mine's Vincent Price. Vincent Price. Vincent Price. Yeah. Followed by Cushing and uh, Donald Pleasance. I I actually like Lee the least, but I like Lee too. I like them all. I don't dislike any of them, but Price outshines all of them. You say Price, Cushing, Lee, Pleasance for you? Probably in that order. Yeah. I might switch Pleasance and Lee. Depending on the movie. Depending on the movie. Yeah. I've seen Puma Man. <laughs> Puma Man. I, like, <laughs> bottom for that. Bad Pleasance. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, all right. I've never seen Puma Man. Puma Man. <laughs> Does he call him Puma Man? Yeah, he calls him. He's a, he's a villain, and he's like like in like a skin tight leotard from the whole thing. I'm like, what are you even doing? He, he's so good in so many movies too, and you just throw him in there. He's such a bizarre actor. <laughs> but um, yep. Uh, glad you guys enjoyed this. Uh, you done? I'm done. I don't care. I don't know. I don't All care. Right, fine. drop of blood feels the freezing paralysis of fear, almost stopping your heart as Edgar Allan Poe unfolds his tales of terror. You will meet the master of the mansion who loved and protected his wife with the strength of a supernatural love, even beyond life itself. I am in command here. You will do as I say. I shall take what I desire. Your body and your soul, if I demand it. Then you'll enjoy the Black Cat's sardonically humorous tale. It all started at the Vintners Convention, where the lover of wine met the professional wine taster and introduced him to his wife, a darling who delighted in Dalians. What kind of a man are you anyway? Make love to my wife and doesn't even talk to me. You're insane. That may be, but very clever. Help! 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 In this monstrous mausoleum of the living, you will witness fury far worse than a woman scorned. 
The fury of a dead woman's jealousy. Okay, guys, um, the next one is the Weekly Western. Let's go. Why not? Fill your hand, you son of a bitch! Say when. Professionals with an all-star cast here. We got Burt Lancaster, Lee Marvin, uh, Woody Strode, Robert Ryan, Jack Palance. You can't beat that cast. Um, this one was made in, what, 66? Six years after The Magnificent Seven and three years before The Wild Bunch. And it definitely feels like it's right in that middle for a Western, an American Western movie. Uh we have this uh, Ralph Bellamy, his wife is uh, kidnapped and taken to Mexico by a group of banditos led by Jack Palance. Um, that's back in the day when, you know, guys like Rudd Steiger or Charles Bronson or Jack Palance could play Hispanics and no one would care or vice versa. Hispanics could play white guys. It's just all back in the day. They used to do it all the time. But we have uh, Ralph Bellamy hires Lee, Mar Lee Marvin, Robert Ryan, Woody Strode, and Burt Lancaster to bring the wife back across the border four men to do this impossible task to go across this rough desert terrain and rescue this woman of course we uh this uh you know wife first we uh as the movie progresses we learn that it's not exactly what it's supposed to be but we learn that they know who jack plants is rasta they used to fight in the uh mexican revolutionary war or fight help him fight for the Mexican Revolution. They were friends, so they have a history. That actually plays into the movie later on. Uh, 
they all have their own personality traits and they all have their own expertise. That's why they're called the professionals. Woody Strode is a, you know, like a scout and he's great with a bow and arrow. Love that. Robert Ryan is uh, the horseman. He you know, takes care of the horses. And then Robert Ryan in this movie, I love Robert Ryan. Usually he plays kind of an asshole or uh, stuff like the Wild Bunch. He's brilliant in the Wild Bunch. I love his character. Lots of uh, dimensions in that character. Um, the Dirty Dozen, he plays a jerk. Um, Odds Against Tomorrow. I, I always enjoy his performances. He's always very good. This one, he gets to show some compassion and some depth within his character, and I really like seeing that too. He usually does get that in most characters, but I really like seeing that here. Um, and Lee, Lee Marvin's always tough as nails, always awesome. You know, he's a tough guy that does the right thing a lot of times. Burt Lancaster is the, you know, he shines in this movie. He's great. He's having a blast. He uh, is a, kind of a womanizing, alcoholic, uh, gambler kind of guy, and he's the dynamite expert. Love seeing that. Uh, a lot of the movie is them traveling, them talking, them running into things, and they have some action here and there. It's pretty cool stuff. Like a, but most of this, uh, what, when it gets good is when Jack Palance and Burt Lancaster meet in the desert. All their dialogue is wonderful, to be honest. Uh, Burt Lancaster's performance is great, and their back and forth is wonderful as well. And I love the ending of this movie. It, it's kind of complicated, and... Uh, it does the right thing. This movie does the right thing, but it has these guys that do it in a rough and tough way. And this interests me because, like I said, it's you know the Magnificent Seven where all these people are going on this suicide mission for their own reasons. And uh, it does feel a little... You know, it's, Magnificent Sevens actually has a little bit sadder ending than this one, but it doesn't feel as more complex and darker and, and more complex issues as the professionals. And then we get to the Wild Bunch, which is just completely dark. So I, I like this as a centerpiece in those movies, to be honest. And they're all great movies. The Professionals, like I said, is really led by the performances. And uh, the script is solid. I believe it was based off a book. And uh, I think the screenplay was actually uh, nominated for an Academy Award, which is very cool. Uh, there's some really great visuals in here. Like I said, there's a dust storm that they put in here, which is cool. And... I enjoy the whole movie. I enjoy the twist. I enjoy everything about it. I enjoy them sneaking into the base, them setting up all these explosions to make it look like they have a giant uh, military force with them. There's absolutely nothing wrong with this movie, and it's very quotable. It has unlimited amounts of quotes in here. Um, some of the stuff that Lee Marvin says is brilliant, and only as Lee Marvin could do. But great stuff. Uh, really cool movie. I think most people will enjoy it, and uh, it does have a... a a little happier ending than one might expect, but uh, great performances in here. That's really what drives this movie, and uh, it's a solid Western with a good story, and it feels like it, it's made in that right place, the right time, and just at a perfect time for the Westerns that you see them evolve so well in there. And this is kind of like, the, you know, right after the Spaghetti Western started picking up, uh, not quite into the good and the bad and ugly, but almost there. But uh, the Professionals disc actually has some features on here, some interviews with uh, some of the remaining cast members who were alive uh, or willing to talk at the time. Uh, the two female leads are both in here talking. They talk about working with a lot of these actors, and uh, the one actor says, you know, uh, Lee Marvin was crazy, but I like crazy people. So it was really great to see him talk about all these guys and everything. They said how funny Woody Strode and... Uh, was and uh, whatnot. So it's really cool to see these stories. Then uh, the daughter of Burt Lancaster's on here talking about her father, talking about how funny he was, how how he kept in shape, and how he, uh, you know, didn't look really, wasn't really looked at as like a heavy good actor until a certain point, and uh, and this and you know and stuff like that. This is right before the swimmer too, so that's really cool. And they also talk on here about how. 
it was a uh, Kind of like Burt Lancaster going back to his fun roles before he got into the more artsy, pretentious roles. Like somewhere in the middle between this is like him saying goodbye to those uh, fun roles, like his last hurrah fun roles. And then The Swimmer was right after. So and that movie is so depressing, but it's a really good movie as well. But uh, it's really nice uh, to see movie stars like this. I, You know, like they said, one of the f film historians in here said, name one movie star who's like these guys nowadays. You can't. Not nobody can equal, and that's true. I, 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 that's why people talk about old Hollywood. And I mean, this is not even old, old Hollywood. But you know, it's just movie stars, man. They're just uh, screen presence. These guys all have it. This movie has it. You know, got this this uh, assembly cast, assembly cast, whatever. Uh, you know, ensemble cast, and uh, they all have amazing screen presence here. at least a month but a few daring men specialists led by you could do it in one bold swift stroke what we really need is an equalizer a dynamiter a man with a delicate touch to blow out a candle without putting a dent in the candle holder Philippine campaign, Cuba with Roosevelt's Rough Riders. Join Pancho Villa as weapons expert and tactician. Ex-cavalryman, cattle boss, wrangler, bullwhacker, packmaster. Specialist with rifle, rope, and longbow. Most defendable scout and tracker in the territory. Raza. Captain Jesus Raza. What a name for the bloodiest cutthroat in Mexico. That's a lot of wool there. Beautiful. Classy. Guts. Go to hell. Yes, ma'am. I'm on my way. You had a woman. Would it make any difference? You want me? My price is high. I might say yes now. And later, no. For money is foolish. To die for a woman is more foolish. Any woman. to shoot shoot don't talk 
Okay, guys. The VHS Voyage this week is the 1988 classic, Canadian classic, The Brain. An autobiography. Yes. <laughs> Based on a true story. All right, this is a cut box. It looks like shit. I know. That's why I watched my Spanish DVD import, El Cerebro. <laughs> this also doesn't look great. But you can watch it in Spanish or English. Um, the Brain's cover art to me, Mind Over Matter, is what always caught my attention as a child. I always thought by seeing it, it was going to be like a Godzilla-sized brain. To me, this just looks like a meatball floating in space. If they called this meatball, I would have no complaints. I love the back cover. This this is the best marketing on a tape for a kid. The Brain. And you see this giant like face floating in space. And I just always wanted to rent it. So eventually I did get a chance to rent it. And I didn't remember very much except that the brain ate somebody. The brain is a batshit crazy movie. The word exploitation is basically created for movies like The Brain and The Pit and stuff like this. Uh, it's Like I said, it has David Gale in it, which was great to see. David Gale from Reanimator Frame um, and a, a few others, Savage Weekend, uh, Bride Reanimator, The Sajinor, and The Giver. So it was great seeing him. He plays Dr. Hill again in a kind of <laughs> role. What happens here is we have this young uh, kid who's kind of a punk. He gets sent to this institute where it's uh, this this kind of local celebrity run by David Gale, and they do these weird experiments to try to make the youth of today better for tomorrow or some bullshit like that. But that's the plot of this movie. And there's a giant weird brain that's pulling the strings, and uh, the more things he eats, the bigger he gets, it seems, doesn't it? He starts a little smaller. Yeah, well, he starts big, too. Did no, he... not. he's big, but he's not that big. Think a little bit bigger. No, he gets way bigger by the end. Way bigger. Yeah, he does. Yeah, he does. He's not that big. He's like this big at first. He's like this, and then by the end, he's, he's like, like this. No, he's like <laughs> as big as this room because they put him on like he's like a parade float by the end of the movie, and they just like scoot him towards. He's like, Arr! but uh, yeah, this movie is uh, the opening of the movie. Like, it starts off great. I'm gonna let you talk first because you say I always say everything you're gonna say. So go ahead. Well, I don't remember anything about this movie, so there's no point in having me okay. talk about the it. The opening of <laughs> this movie is surreal in ways, or just completely batshit, because the doctor's performing these weird psychological experiments that end up like uh, taking over and brainwashing the town. Anybody who watches his television program starts to get brainwashed, and their idea is to make this a national success. And this kid uh, that finds this out, him and his girlfriend basically have the last chance for this town to be saved. What they do is they uh, try to, and so the whole town is being manipulated by these brain waves these uh these waves sent over the like whatever from the doctor so they all are after out to kill him or anybody in fact who doesn't like this doctor's show uh you learn later that these people aren't human but uh it's kind of weird and strange in that way but there's some really good moments of gore and there's some crazy moments. And the opening of the movie actually starts off like a Nightmare on Elm Street movie where this girl's having like this psychological breakdown from the experiments. And, and there's these tentacles coming in and she kills her own mother on accident. That scene's really done, well done and scary and creepy. Uh, the lead character of this movie is... Uh, kind of a punk-ass kid you don't really like, and he's just being an absolute dickhead the whole movie, and then you leave it up to him to save the day, and you're like, I don't really care if he lives or dies, but you don't really care by that point. Yeah, he's like a senior in high school, but 
he's pulling like Bart Simpson's antics. Like I put a cherry bomb in the toilet, and like, it's like, what, and the, and the, what are you doing? And the guys who like find him doing it, the teacher and the and the, the and they're so cool about it. Like yeah. if if I got covered in shit water, that kid would be getting a he'd be getting a permanent swirly. <laughs> like I'm gonna kill you right now. But uh. There is some nonsensical like writing in here at times. Um, they shoot this uh, psychological institute sign like thirty-seven times, and they reuse the footage. And then like it's like they almost made the sign for the movie, and they're like, "That sign costs fifteen dollars. We're getting every cent out of it. <laughs> shoot that sign until I tell you not to shoot the sign, and then shoot the sign again." Like I'm serious, the sign is shot like thirty times in the movie. It's like at first you're like, oh, and then like twenty minutes later, I'm like, that's the same shot, isn't it? Yeah. And then like another shot, like people walking up to it. It looks like a greenhouse, the building they use for the psychological institute, put like a sign put out in front of it. It's a psychological institute, and everything's obvious about it. It's like that's what it's called. It's not called like the home for mind. It's just called psychological institute. It'd be like going to like, Kroger's or Myers, and it'd say grocery store. That's, you know what I mean? It's like, um, hamburger uh, shop. Uh, hamburger shop. <laughs> French fries. Oh, what, uh, what they sell here? Yeah. No clue. <laughs> but, um, I enjoyed it. it. It's very fun. It's it's not intentionally funny at times, but there's some real moments that are batshit because people in the town are going crazy too. So uh, there's a time where a girl takes out that the wife of somebody takes what weapon does she take? Like a chainsaw or a circular saw to this guy, and all the murders are being blamed on the kid. Even at one point, the orderly kills this really annoying cop with an axe and hacks his head off in one hit. And uh, then uh, he sees a bunch of cops pulling up, and he's got the axe in hand. He's like, he did it! He chopped his head off, and he throws the axe down. He's still holding the axe. (laughs) Uh, It's just so ridiculous at times like that. But but the whole town is, again, being manipulated by these brainwaves. There is some decent nudity in here, too, which I enjoyed seeing how they shoehorn it in there. That's actually a great scene. And I always remember that from being a kid, too. Who played the orderly? I don't know. Didn't we look him up and he was in something else and we started laughing? He was in something else, but he looks like uh, Randall Texas Cobb, but it's not. He's in something else, too, that we looked up and we're like, oh, yeah, he is that guy. But I can't remember what he actually is from. Um, I thoroughly enjoyed him. I like, there's a few chase scenes with him where, like, he kind of, like, gives up and he just, like, takes a gun and just starts, like, shooting down random hallways. It's fun. It it's is fun. stupid as shit, but it's enjoyable. It's it's a good bad movie, but it's not really bad. It's also very interesting in what they're doing. It, it it's I don't think I've ever seen anything quite like it to be honest. Mm-hmm. And it's got a giant meatball. And the brain does look really cool. Yeah, he's a meatball. He's a meatball with it's teeth. And at the end, he's, and they set up how the demise of the brain so obvious. Like, <laughs> mm-hmm. it, that's why they jerry or they shoehorn that stupid frickin' um, toilet. Yeah, the exploding. sodium, whatever it is. Just sodium? Sodium, sodium, flush it down the toilet, and then you're like, it explodes it. And then, like, later on, you're like, okay. They're, like, right. in the boiler room, and Versailles and Versailles is like, do not use sodium in here. It's like, okay, <laughs> why? <laughs> Like, There's uh, a lots of like corners cut to make it 
a little bit easier on the filmmakers, but I'm fine with that. It is a low-budget movie, like I said. I think this director went on to do some other things, too, but I, I can't remember exactly. I, I This is the first movie I watched for this week, so. But uh, I, I really like to see a Blu-ray release of this movie. I think that it could be one of those uh, midnight movies that has a really big following, to be honest, don't you? Mm-hmm. This screams like, I mean, when people are like, I love Troll 2 and Max Overdrive, this is so like that, and it's so much fun, and I think it would be a really good seller. I think the brain is a is a cool movie and I, I always remembered it i always stuck out to me and i'm glad i re- got to revisit it for the vhs voyage was this after reanimator yeah i'm sure it was a reanimator was 85 this was 88 oh, okay uh david gale didn't live very long he died pretty young if i remember correctly so i mean that's why nobody ever sees my like horror conventions or anything mm-hmm. like that so but i think david gale is kind of like uh totally underrated like horror guy i know uh, joe bob briggs said that too when he did the uh 24-hour marathon but i always thought he was great but uh yeah everybody likes him he's good in that too he has a good time Okay, guys, the next one is the Pick a Movie, and this is uh, 13 Assassins by Takashi Miike, and this was made in 2010, I believe. Probably wrong on that, too. <laughs> but uh, this was picked by Jason Willard, and I had this sitting around. This is actually a remake of 13 Assassins made in the 60s, I believe, and this is semi-based on a true story. One of the characters in the movie actually existed in history. What we have here is this guy who's coming into power, he's going to be in more power, and he is a tyrant. He is a monster. And nobody wants him around, but nobody can do anything about it until somebody sets forth and determines that he is uh, breaking the law and whatnot and has to send these 13 assassins to take care of him. That's basically the plot of the movie. It's a lot like, you know, the, Sam, the, the Magnificent Seven where we have very few versus very many. Originally done in The Seven Samurai, which I've not seen. Of course, I've seen The Magnificent Seven and Battle Beyond the Stars and all the movies that were rip-offs or, or remakes of Seven Samurai, but I haven't seen this one, uh, The Seven Samurai, but I know the story. So we have a small army versus a large army, and they have to use their wits, and they have to be the best of the best. Um, they assemble the 13 assassins to do this mission. The lead guy is great. I love his character. 
and uh, all the people that they this kind of ragtag team of people that they pick are also very interesting. Uh, there's about five or six that stand out that are completely you know unforgettable. The guy with the spear, the 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 crazy woodsman they find, uh, the son, the gambler, the, the the nephew, the gambler, and stuff like that. There's a bunch of them, and there's a couple characters that really stand out. Like I said, and they have to stop this uh, army from traveling with this uh, big big dog guy they want to stop. I, I don't necessarily remember what they call him. They don't call him a Shogun, but uh, he's an animal. He is one of the most despicable villains I've ever seen. He is cruel. He wants to bring back the war to Japan in a peaceful time. So that's why they must stop him. And the stuff he's done is absolutely horrible. He cut off a poor woman's arms and legs for no reason and destroyed her whole village. Stuff like that. So they want to stop him, and they have to use their wits. They uh, uh, help have people like stop barricades and uh, so they can corner them in this small town. And like I said, it's 200 versus 13. So they use smart things like explosion tactics, booby traps, and their brute force. Uh, the acting is great. The everything about this movie is great, to be honest. There is some CGI used in here, but it's not terrible, and the movie's so good you barely you don't care. Uh, most of it's practical, most of it's amazing. Uh, the blood splatters, uh, you're attached to all the characters, so when they die, uh, you feel bad, you feel horrible. Yeah, you're hoping for them to pull through, and uh, there, there's lots of great stuff here. I don't want to spoil too much, but you know this kind of story never ends well for the heroes. But there's lots of great sword fights, and there's a great dynamic between the lead, uh, you know, uh, protector of the, the the main bad guy. He and the lead of the seven, 13 assassins have this history with each other, and they have, uh, and it goes, and this this other guy, they have the honor what it is to be the difference between being a samurai. One says, "I want to protect people, protect the peacefulness, the tranquility," and the other is, "I protect my master, no matter what." And that's the difference in these samurais, and that's the difference in the way they look at things and justify what they're doing. And that battle is going to be, you know, it's definitely going to be there, and you know it's going to eventually happen. And it's a great battle, to be honest. It, it's very short. It's not as long as you would expect, but I really enjoyed it. But, uh, yeah, it's just so many good things happening here. There's a little bit of comedy that uh, it fits, and, and um, there's like 18 minutes of deleted scenes. And the deleted scenes, I watched all of them, and a lot of them are great. A lot of them build in characters. There's even a couple death scenes in those deleted scenes of main characters that they only show the aftermath of, which I wish would they would have, should have stayed in there. But the 18 minutes has a lot of comedy, especially with the, the crazy mountain man. And that stuff plays in well to the ending of the movie because this character seems larger than life at the end and everything. And you don't want to, without spoiling too much, these scenes play into what happens at the end. And without them, it doesn't make as much sense, doesn't bother me. But uh, some of the scenes probably were best left on the cutting room floor, especially a scene where he visits a bunch of prostitutes and they're all completely sore from it. But uh, that seems absolutely nonsense and ridiculous. But it does actually have um, the main bad guy from Zato Ichi in it, Zato Ichi, in there in that scene more so. And he's in the movie for a little bit. But... Uh, I, it has like this political nature of how Japan worked at the time, which I enjoyed seeing. Uh, the battles are great. Uh, the first movie, it, it's a couple hour long movie, and the first hour is kind of them on their way to the mission, meeting all the characters, and the second hour is a giant battle. Similar to The Dirty Dozen, where you set up these 12 guys on a suicide mission, you learn who they are, you like all the characters, they have some comedy moments and some bonding, and then you're going to see all these guys get wasted in a blaze of glory. I love that kind of thing. I've always loved that kind of thing. And this one's one of the best ones I've seen like it. 13 Assassins, um, great characters, great fights. 
points um, and uh, really cool stuff. I really highly recommend it. Uh, anybody will enjoy this kind of thing. I'm pretty sure. If you like action movies, if you like, you know, samurai movies or westerns or anything like that, check it out for sure.天下の太平は保たれぬ。コタービの Okay, guys, it's time for the drawing. Now, I'm thinking about actually, um, a lot of people are complaining that I have not been drawn, I've not been drawn. I checked, your names are in the bag, so don't worry about it. But I'm thinking about just uh, not taking any more entries in the bag until everybody's drawn out and resetting it so everybody gets a chance. Let me know if you like this, but for now, I'm going to take this is going to be the last, maybe the last week I take some entries in there um, until the bag's drawn out. But if you want to enter, just leave your name on YouTube uh, or on the Screaming Toilet page and I'll take you out. But um, I'm going to draw you, or I'll add you in, you know what I mean? And your name will stay in until you're drawn. I know Derek B won last week and I think he wants me to do Shakedown. Who's going to get drawn out this week? It is Rick Peters. There you go. So let me know what you want me to watch, Rick Peters. Um, ASAP and I'll get on it. Okay, guys. What's uh, the questions? Uh, questions for uh, the week were, if you want to ask questions, same thing, do it on YouTube or the Screaming Toilet, and I'll answer it. Question, Peter Eaglin. This is a hard one, even for me, because I know we both like the genre. What are your top favorite revenge films? Mine are, off the top of my head, Get Carter, Coffee, Rolling Thunder, Dead Man's Shoes, and Blue Ruin. 
Oh, I forgot uh, Once Upon a Time in the West, which is my number one favorite movie. Um, that is a very hard question, to be honest, because even those movies you named, I like quite a bit. Coffee, Dead Man Shoes, Blue Ruin. I love those. Once Upon a Time in the West. I love all those. Rolling Thunder is a cool movie. So, you know, like, that's tough. Uh, top five favorite revenge films. Off the top of my head, I'm going to do it. Uh, Dark Man. I think that's a great one. I'm, I'm going to try to go a little bit less obvious than some people would think. Uh, Dark Man. A Gun for Jennifer. It's not necessarily a revenge film. It's kind of a vigilante film, but I feel like these people are getting revenge on society in a way. So that's two. Uh, these aren't my personal favorites. These are just five off the top of my head I like. Thriller, A Cruel Picture. Awesome movie. Um, what else do we have here? Revenge film. Uh, you know what? I'm going to do Dead Man's Shoes as well because I don't think enough people talk about that movie. I think that's a great movie. Um Dead Man's Shoes. What else do we have? I'm trying to think. Uh, off the top of my head, what's a revenge movie that I absolutely love? Uh, Posse's on there. Tombstone's a revenge movie, to be honest. Uh, Once Upon a Time in the West. There's so many good revenge movies. Almost all the best movies are revenge movies. Robocop. We'll go with Robocop. Love Robocop. Um, okay. And then we have um, Andrew DMB. Um, anyways, your thoughts on film-related podcasts, your faves and recommendations. I know I hear you talk about Shockwaves and Pure Cinema a lot, which are two of my faves as well as Junk Food Diner, Dinner, and from your YouTube community, The 22 Shots, which you seem to be a fan of as well. Anyway, you might also recommend, any you'd also re recommend, ever listen to Junk Food at all. I've never listened to Junk Food. I'll check it out. But uh, some other ones that I would recommend, um, like I said, you those three I love, Pure Cinema, Podcast, Shockwaves, 22 Shots of Moods and Horror. Check out Exploding Heads if you like them. Um, they're really good. Um, I would also recommend Just the Disc is a good podcast. Who else pops up? Bloody Good Horror. They do some really good stuff. They um, I'm trying to think Screamcast is a fun one. So, uh, I'm trying to, I'm probably going to miss a couple that I actually really enjoy, but, uh, those ones off the top of my head, I really dig, uh, projection booth. Occasionally I'll listen to, but those things are like five hours long. Um, and then there's supporting characters. I listen to that occasionally. There's some good stuff in there. Um, there's lots of good podcasts out there and, and whatnot, but exploding heads is really good too. I've been listening to them a lot lately. Uh, those guys are really funny. So that's another one. And uh, he has some more questions. If you were ever asked or interested in doing a podcast on your own, I used to. The Shut Up Brandon feed actually has like old podcasts where I did them with Dustin Mills and Brandon Salkill. Um, and I, I still would like to do that again, but it's so hard to find two other people that are going to be able to do it every week or and uh, finding a time slot and finding the time to do it. Oh, and he also asked, would love to see you evolve each of your vids. And, oh yeah, just out of the blue, HUD with Paul Newman. Seen it or not? No, I have not. Um, Paul Newman, I, I need to see more of his work, to be honest. Uh, John Wilhelm, who is a character in a horror movie that you generally hate seeing dying? Mm. Trying to think. Characters I hated seeing dying. Um, there's sometimes I'll watch a movie and then a character will bite it and I'll just be way less interested in watching it if that ever happened i remember savage weekend uh, the character there's a there's a gay character in that movie and usually like in the movies they make the gay character super stereotypical and just everybody's like okay okay it's the same thing over and over again he was in this but he was also the most likable character in the movie so when he drops out of savage weekend it just makes the movie less watchable I, I i don't know if i hated seeing him go but i just definitely didn't like his placement when he went um characters i hate see dying uh Roger from Dawn of the Dead's pretty, it's a bummer, but uh, I, I don't hate seeing it because it's such a beautiful scene. Um, some other ones that I watched were uh, Cullibus. 
I feel really bad for the people I hate in that one. But like characters I hate see dying uh, that aren't horror movies. Uh, Cable Hogue's pretty sad, sad death. But they're so set up so well that it's just too perfect. To, uh, um, but there's a couple things that I do hate. Like I said, I I don't uh, when they take their best actor or best character and kill him off first. I kind of hate that. Nick Mua, your favorite classical horror movie actor? It's Sir Christopher Lee for me. Mine is uh, Vincent Price. Can't beat Price. Probably followed by uh, Peter Cushing and Donald Pleasant's Tide. I really like them too. Uh, we know that at times books have become crappy movies, but can a movie be made into a decent novel? Uh, I'm sure. Um, I know that there's tons of graphic novels based off movies and books. That, I mean, based off movies that are actually really good. Um, you know that people probably enjoy. I know like all the big movies have had their graphic novels done, and and people seem to enjoy those. So I'd say that they probably can be made into a decent novel. I remember reading the Dark Man novelization, and I enjoyed enjoyed it for what it was. But uh, you know. And that was made after the movie, so it can happen. They can be all right. Dracula says, I have great taste. Again, great name. Question of the week offering. I'm a lifelong musician. We never stop working at getting better. What are you currently doing to work on your acting chops or your own works in film? Or what would you like to be able to do if you had more time slash funds? If I had more funds slash time, I would definitely go back to college and get a degree in filmmaking only for the technical stuff. I would want to learn more about the technical stuff and whatnot. You know, how to use the camera. Because I like to do everything. I would like to do everything myself, to be honest. Um, but what I do, I mean, I, I sometimes I don't, like, uh, memorize lines or, like, um, you know, unless I um, got a role coming up, obviously. But if I get a role, I, I figure out who this guy is and or this character is. And I just think who this person is to me. And I think of people I know in real life or characters I've seen in movies and take my own take on them. And I kind of mix them together. I know you're not necessarily asking that. And then I come up with a developing a voice and I get the lines down and my inflection and things like that. And I go over the lines tons of times. I record myself saying it, record myself saying the other people's lines so I can remember everything, my cues, and I think about it and I go over it for hours. So that's how I do that. And and when I don't have roles, you know, I'm always constantly watching tons of movies and seeing movies that I normally wouldn't watch. Somebody once told me that was a very smart person. They said, if you love horror movies, if you want to make horror movies, watch all sorts of movies because you'll see things and you'll learn things that you normally wouldn't learn from horror movies that are great ways to make films so and that's a that's a good piece of advice so i'm always watching tons of different movies i love all movies so that's uh i think a way to do it and i'm always like kind of coming up with ideas and writing things down and thinking about the next movie and i have like five or six movies i'd want to make but i haven't flushed them out enough to actually think that they'd be good enough to make into a feature yet what i do do that eventually i probably will make another one so i'm always thinking about making movies or being in movies but i'm not or characters i will know i want to play but uh, i'm not necessarily uh like going to like theater or anything right now currently but i probably would do that too if i had more times and funds time and funds tim hayes is it me or whenever ron jeremy is cast in non-porn films he always casts in comedy roles uh no doubt no doubt for sure i think that's just because uh, a lot of people see him and it's like a gimmick that they're like oh it's ron jeremy i know who that is and they probably just you know can't take him seriously at times i know boondock saints he has kind of his more serious role and uh, I always enjoy seeing him. He's actually always pretty funny and pretty solid actor in all his movies. Uh, have you shown off your Midnight Movie box sets before? No, sir. I see only two of them behind you, so guessing that's all those two they have. Yeah, those are the only two they have. And if I do show those, I'll probably just show my other uh, Media Blasters box sets as well. And uh, 
here are the answers um, for the last question I asked. I asked if you guys would ever want to see me cover a horror franchise, and if yes, uh, which one, and wh- and uh, who would you want me to cover it with? Who is old guest of the show? Uh, Peter Eglin. I missed his old answer to his last question, which which any crazy stories that happen on actual films, and he said um, he talked he talked about the. Uh, it, um, the most chilling incident occurred, he's talking about the Omen in the Netherlands in Austria in 1976, John registered. a lot of people talked about this, visual effects consultant, the Omen, and his wife, assistant Liz Moore were in a car crash, Moore was decapitated in a manner similar to David Warner's in a film, Richardson crawled out of the wreckage, looked around to get his bearings, and found a road sign that read Omen, 6.6 kilometers. So, uh, yeah. that I only read that because it went in a little more depth. But as for the new question, uh, Peter Englund says... Uh, He's not really a fan of horror franchises, but he likes a couple of them. Friday the 13th, Alien, Romero's Dead. But I would like to see you review those Amicus Horror Anthologies. Was there nine Amicus Horror Anthologies? I think there was Vault of Horror Tales and the Crypt from Beyond the Grave. I'm not going to name them all. House That Drip Blood might have been one of them. Jeez, uh, what else is there? Uh, Dr. Tear's House of Horror. There's so many of them. Uh, I can't remember all of them off the top of my head, but I do think I have all of them. So that would be really fun to do. Uh, John Wilhelm, heck yeah, I'd like to see you review the Critters franchise, or even Night of the Demons. That would be fun. Uh, like both those franchises. Nick Mua, I'd love to see you review a horror-themed franchise. And as I love Clyde Barker, I'd love to see you review either the Hellraiser or Candyman series. I'd love to see your co-host be a show with either Dustin Mills or Scott Shermer, or both. It'd be hard for Scott, but maybe I could do it online, like on Skype or something. Uh, Door Kitty Films Army. Franchise, easily hands down, the Pusher Trilogy. I know he's wanting me to review those. Uh, Ilk Vomit. Any of the franchises, uh, but I'd vote for the Puppet Master franchise. It's like 14 movies. (laughs) Tim Hayes. Uh, No franchise or series reviews, but I'd like... Uh, you've done in the past, have that one friend of yours, uh, it's Cage, who you're trying to think of, sometimes do a movie review. Come back to review a single horror movie or cult movie like you co-reviewed with him in the past. I can't recall his name, but I believe he's mentioned he's an emergency dispatcher of some sorts. Oh, um, that's Jeremy. Yeah, um, so I could probably, uh, have Jeremy come back, but I know I'm gonna have Cage or Keith Boyd Jr. come back for one, uh, shortly, within a few weeks. Peekaboo, would love to see you review a horror franchises. Be safe. Um, ben Miller, to answer the viewer question, I'd mostly love to hear your thoughts on the entire Phantasm series. If not that, then I would be cool if you covered the Blind Dead series. Not enough people do that one. I'm related, but do you have the coffin box set? Yes, I do. I think it's right up there if you can see it. Yeah. Uh, you could also do the Witchboard trilogy, the John Carpenter Apocalypse trilogy, Fulci's Gates of Hell trilogy, or even Romero's Dead trilogy. I'm going to say this right now before I read the rest of this. Fulci's Gates of Hell trilogy is not a real trilogy. I don't think House by the Cemetery was ever considered part of that series until like five years ago, ten years ago when they started throwing it in there. If I'm wrong, correct me. But I don't think it is. I think that he's brought on by mad scientist stuff, not actually from hell. I know it's thrown in there with it, but I don't think it is. Maybe it is. I don't know. But it sure doesn't feel like the Beyonder City of Living Dead to me. I'd almost... Uh, covering uh, i'd almost like to see you cover the return of the dead series but i don't want to ask anyone to sit through the last straight to video entries for that one any of the guests you've had on would do just fine it's a little more fun when you have someone to bounce off of other possible suggestions japanese guinea pig series cube trilogy or even the men behind the sun series those would all be pretty intense i don't think many people have actually talked about those but uh the question for this week i want to ask is okay guys if I could, uh, if you could recommend one movie from 2018, one, just one, I don't want to see like 10 movies on the list, okay, just one, what would it be so far? 
one movie from 2018, what would it be? I'm just curious because maybe I missed it and I want to see it. So that's one movie from 2018 that you can recommend so far. Okay, guys, uh, I guess we will hop into the update. Okay, guys, here we go into the updates. Uh, this is part of the Vinegar Syndrome bundle, Blu-ray bundle, Body Melt. I haven't seen this in a long time. I did hear some people say that this has never been released on DVD or Blu-ray. That is not correct. It was released twice on DVD, once by Scorpion. This is the first time it's ever hit Blu-ray uh, in the States as far as I'm, as I'm concerned. I believe Umbrella released a Blu-ray. But uh, it's been a long time since I've seen this one. Uh, remember it having some cool gory moments. I don't remember it being great, uh, but I know that Shockwaves just did a... They they, they loved it. Uh, I remember it being kind of gross and uh, fairly cool. Um, I'm looking forward to revisiting. I also got Dead Dudes and Owls, but you guys saw that in the actual video. Here is Memories uh, with with Miss... What did I not even bother? Aggie, which I don't know much about this movie. I love the cover art. I love the puzzle thing here going on. A motif, the puzzle motif. But uh, I don't know much about it. I'm not even sure if this is a hardcore film or not, but I collect all the Blu-rays they have there, but, uh, yeah, love Vinegar Syndrome, I'm caught up on all their Blu-ray releases thus far, they have a hell of an October coming, Scream for Help, uh, heard lots of things about this one, directed by Michael Winner, written by Tom Holland, very unhappy with how it turned out, Tom Holland, that's why he decided to direct Fright Night, um, I know that Shockwaves loves this movie, they always talk about how batshit crazy and weird it is, so, I'm excited to check it out. Then we have uh, God's Bloody Acre and uh, So Sad About Gloria. This is a double feature from um, Dark uh, Force. Uh, Drive-in feature, the fourth one. Not seen either of these, but uh, looking forward to checking it out. And then we got Slave of the Cannibal God, a.k.a. Mountain of the Cannibal God by Sergio Martino. This has uh, Andres, uh, Ursula Andress in it from the Bond movies and Stacey Keach, who I love. I haven't seen this in a very long time. I remember liking this one. And uh, Sergio Martino had done three jungle adventure movies, including this one, Big Alligator River and, uh, uh, what is it, Island of the Fishmen, a.k.a. Screamers. Um, the retitled, uh, what is it, the retitled Corman name is Screamers. Not to be confused with the Peter Weller movie Screamers. But uh, regardless, Slave of the Cannibal God is awesome, uh, if I remember correctly. Uh, Stacey Keach, uh, yep. And there's an infamous pig scene. I don't even remember what it is, but I remember it's infamous. I think I do. And we have uh, Ouija Blood Ritual by Dustin Mills. This is uh, his newest release. I saw this at a screening. And, uh, you know, I don't really like found footage movies or ghost movies, but I knew Dustin would take such a different approach to it, and he did. It's well acted, it's well made, and it has some scary moments. Uh, I'm a big Dustin Mills fan. He's also one of my best friends, so, yeah. But I think it's cool. Then we have the Nightmare Elm Street box set. Right here, this was too cheap to pass up, 25 bucks, which means it's probably getting a release from Screen Factory or something. <laughs> but yeah, this is uh, all the original seven movies. I had them on Voodoo, I had them on DVD, so, you know, this is kind of a, a slight upgrade for the price, you know. Uh, Nightmare on Elm Street, uh, when I was a kid, this was my favorite series, but there's a lot of stinkers in this series, isn't there? I mean, it, I don't particularly, I don't like five. That's really the only one I don't like at all. The other ones I like to a certain extent. Then we have uh, Mom and Dad uh, with Nicolas Cage and Selma Blair. Um, yeah, heard good things about this one. Heard it's completely batshit. And after watching Mandy, I was like, Nick Cage, man. Uh, I used to be one of those guys that liked a lot of his old performances and was confused by some of his new performances. But uh, I guess I'm a fan of the Cage rage now because... Um, I can't, it works so well in Mandy, and uh, I hear it works well in this one too, but that's mom and dad. We have some DVDs I got pretty cheap. Mohawk was a couple bucks. I know it's on Blu-ray, but uh, I saw part of this on um, 
Netflix, and uh, I like his other movie, uh, We Are Still Here, but this I could not get through. Even the trailer to me looked bad. Like, I was like, ugh, it looks awful. I don't know why. It just did not, it could not check my attention. I don't, I, I think it's very hard to make a low-budget period, a no-budget period piece, and, and, and it looks like it shows. It just, I could get into it, but I'm willing to give it another chance for sure. Then we got the remake of Blood Feast on DVD. Again, very cheap, family video. I know Ryan Nicholson did the effects in here, so I was curious to check it out. I'm not the hugest fan of Blood Feast. You guys all know this, and I've seen a lot of the movies that are supposed to sequels or ripoffs, um, or a Blood Diner, um, what is the other one, Blood Sucking Pharaohs in Pittsburgh. Then we have The Houses in October Built Part 2. So part of the first one here. Didn't love the first one. Uh, didn't finish it, but uh, this one was also cheap, and I had to get it for a part of a deal, so I grabbed it. But that is the update. Uh, thanks for watching. Back to the video. Thank you very much, guys, for watching, and as always, you guys have a good one. Hey.